and welcome back to The Invisible Artist, episode two. I am Jason from Protege Music, and if you're listening, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I can't express how much it means to me that you're just here listening. And I will do my best to try to give you guys some nuggets and some some, uh, experiences that I've gone through that will hopefully help you along your journey as an artist. Now, in the last episode, I did talk about how I became a DJ, and this episode is going to pick up where I left off of how I became a DJ into a promoter. Let me tell you, it wasn't an easy journey. Uh, I already went through a lot of stuff just trying to come up as a DJ. And if I remember right, let me see. I'm, so I started in 1992, and right now we're probably around like 2008, 2009. I had this opportunity fall on my lap. Okay, I had been going through this struggle, trying to get DJ gigs, and I found a promoter to actually give me a shot, and I was DJing in empty rooms at the church nightclub, and it was awesome. Like, I had a great experience. I learned a lot. I got very comfortable with the equipment and uh, the sound engineers and all that stuff, so I learned a lot as a DJ and uh, was coming up as a, as a headlining performer, if you will. And throughout that journey, uh, the promoter that gave me a shot had actually given me a real shot on uh, one of the busiest nights at that club, uh, which was a Friday night, and it was a 10 o'clock slot. And it was just awesome. To this day, it was one of the best sets that I ever played. And um, that was like the takeoff point. Well, fast forward about eight months, I had been bringing in, you know, a thousand people a show. I have this huge guest list, and uh, I feel like I'm making it. And I get a phone call from the promoter, Brian, and uh, you know he asked me if I wanted to take over the company because he didn't want to be a promoter anymore. So you know we talked about it, and I accepted his terms, and I was so excited about this. Uh, you know, on the outside, I was just kind of portraying this this uh, persona, if you will, that hey, I can do this. I know business, and uh, I can I can take this to another level, but on the inside, I was literally scared to death. Like I had no idea how to be a promoter and what it entailed to actually throw a party. Well, I did get blessed. Uh, the the guy Brian and stuff that uh, asked me to take over, he introduced me to the films that he already had, and we did this all on Facebook. So. I was used to MySpace. I could never like do the design stuff in MySpace and look at all, look all pretty, but I could talk to people, and that's where I was getting it, the biggest part of my guest list. And um, what was cool is I, this company that was being passed to me didn't have any assets, so there was no DJ equipment, there was no like anything worth of value physically. But what I didn't know, I had no idea how connected this guy was. Um, He had the contacts. And the way that he introduced me as taking over this company, uh, he introduced me to all those promoters, like the guys that were not giving me the gigs as a DJ. And I had given them all kinds of demos and just pretty much begged them. Uh, They all said no or weren't calling me back. He introduced me to them a certain way, and I started working with them. And that was very exciting uh, because one of them was actually the number one promoter in all of Colorado, uh, the Triad Dragons. And uh, it was just a real honor to be a part of all this. And there was so much excitement going on, like online and, uh, 
you know, I was getting the training that I needed. Like Brian actually walked me through. He was like, this is what you need to do. And, you know, you got to print these flyers and you got to hang them up here and you got to hang them up a certain way to meet club standards. And, and uh, this club, the church nightclub uh, was actually connected to a whole bunch of other clubs in Colorado. And it was awesome. Like pretty much it got to a point where all I had to do was ask and I could throw my events at these places. But um, before I skip too far ahead, let me just tell you, like, it was a great experience to get trained to be introduced that way and um, and to start throwing events. And, you know, on the inside, I was just thinking, this is like the light bulb that I had go off is like, look, I don't really want to be a promoter. It seems like a lot of work, but I am so tired of begging for DJ gigs and getting like, you know, just doing opening spots and and 10 o'clock slots and stuff. How do I get that headline slot? And I found that this would be a good way to do it. You know, if I could just have a venue where I could invite people to, I could just do the scheduling myself and I could put myself on as a headliner. And that's exactly what I did. Um, Our very first show, you know, this was like our launch party. Um, you know, got with the with the guys that uh, Brian had introduced me to, and we rebranded everything. We came up with a new logo, new name, called it 2042 Events, and um, everybody was excited. And I put a lot of promoting and effort into this. I invited every single person I knew, every single person I ever saw. Uh, I was talking to people online, and it was it was just a lot of stress. I had my fingers crossed. I was like, man, I hope I have a big turnout. And we did. Uh, you know, we threw this this event and we had over 2,000 people show up and we just rocked that crowd. It was so unbelievable. And the only downside to that night, this is a, hopefully it's a little nugget for you guys, a little piece of information that you can keep to yourself and not make the same mistake I did is, you know, we wanted to do an after party and just keep it going all night because that's how we did it we were like weekend warriors and stuff i was at a young age you know we wanted to party all night we didn't want to just end it too so uh at the very last minute me and some of my friends got together so let's do an after party and um we found we found a venue the guy was going to charge a bunch of money and um i didn't have it so one of my friends actually put the money up and I was like, dude, we're going to have so many people show up and we'll get the money back and all this. And um, certain questions arose like, you know, we're going to have alcohol there and all this stuff. So um, the guy that we booked the venue through said that he had all the permits and everything was legit and we're good to go. And the only thing that we were going to be doing there that was, uh, you know, pretty much illegal is we were going to sell alcohol. and we throw the party and, you know, I had my headliners and stuff. Some DJs, like I had an entire DJ lineup. I had no clue who they really were. Uh, just hoping that they were good. I was going off of word of mouth. And we throw this party and we're getting, I send my crew off to go set up for the after party. We're not even open yet. It's about 1 a.m. And we got people showing up to the after party. And uh, I'm getting text messages and stuff like, hey, dude, there's already a line. And I was just getting excited. I was like, hell yeah, because it's been such a great night already. And lo and behold, uh, 
there was some competition out there. This is the story that I that I heard. I don't really have all the facts, but somebody else was doing an after party, and I was actually warned by the guy that gave me this company. He was like, "Hey, dude, you shouldn't you shouldn't do the after party." I said, "Why not?" He's all this other guy's doing it. We don't want to step on his toes. Well, I had an attitude against that, and I was like, "Look, there's plenty of people here. How how we we could share this crowd. Like, how how big is this venue?" Like uh, holds like a hundred people. I was like, screw that, dude. I'm doing my my after party. Well, something happened. I don't know what happened, but we were shut down before we ever opened. So as I'm getting, I'm wrapping up at the church, and I uh, getting ready to collect my money and all that. Cops show up at my after party, and arrest all of my friends for bootlegging alcohol. And it was it was a real bummer, man. Like uh, I didn't even know what to do. We had already let people in. There was money. That was that just disappeared. All the alcohol disappeared. That was confiscated by the cops. And, uh, you know, some of my friends went to jail. So it was, it was kind of uh, stressful. So if I could uh, tell you the first thing that really helped you out, if you are thinking about throwing parties uh, at a venue, especially, you need to make sure that you have all of your permits locked and, and all your ducks in a row. Uh, that was the main reason why they were able to come in because we had no permits. The the owner of the venue that we booked it from, he actually lied. He didn't have all the permits involved and stuff. We couldn't even get a hold of him when all this stuff went down. So uh, took a loss on that, you know. But we continued to do this. We uh, we threw parties at the church, and uh, you know we had great turnouts. Uh, I even opened up and instead of uh, trying to rent venues. And stuff we actually used one of the ch- the church's uh little side clubs and stuff and, and started doing after parties there now this place was really grungy man like <laughs> the after hour spot just like down under it's literally underground and uh they don't serve alcohol because it's after hours and you know it stinks in there you got a decent sound system but um you know we just it wasn't really working out so i kind of stepped away from that and i would just throw djs in that wanted to play that was a spot that they could go play for after hours and um throughout this journey you know we we really just kind of rocked the crowd and uh kept trying to build up as much as we could now the this is the second thing i want to let you guys know is uh the consistency is great but you want to be want to have it workable See, that first year that I took over the company, we actually ended up throwing about two to three shows a month on average. And I got burned out really, really quick. It takes a lot of work to throw these parties. And I was still learning the process of all of that. And um, we didn't have enough money. And this is kind of going on when the recession was happening. So I was, I was already struggling for work. I had lost my, my job. And I didn't have cash flow coming in. The only money that I was making was off of these these DJ gigs, uh, these these event nights at the church. And uh, you know, I, I worked my way into another club called Beta, and you know that was my income. And I was paying a lot of it out to the other DJs. Like everybody gets paid. I was paying all the DJs a hundred bucks, except for the openers. And um, it was just really, really stressful, man. And uh, not having the job just really put a lot of pressure on me because I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So I kind of had this this uh, light bulb go off. I was like, look, I obviously uh, don't have the financing to keep pushing through with this. So what's the solution? 
you know, and that's, that's kind of how I am. I'm always looking for the solutions. I don't want to complain about stuff and be like, oh, it's not my fault or I can't do this because of that. I'm always looking for the solution because that's how we grow as people and, and businesses and all that. And, um, you know, I had this, this uh, idea. I was like, you know, I should work with the other promoters. I have plenty of DJs. I got people I don't even know trying to talk to me all the time because they want to be a part of what we're doing. So I started talking to other promoters and we started doing cross bookings. I booked their DJs and then they booked me and some, some of my DJs at their events. And the main thing uh, that it was kind of like my rules, like, hey, even if I'm not playing at your parties, I still want you to put my logo on your flyers and we'll do the same. And we started cross promoting like that. And anytime that they had an event, anytime, like it didn't even matter if uh if, if me or any of my DJs were playing, if they were throwing an event and didn't interfere with ours, we're promoting that event as well. You know, that's, that's what I was used to uh, coming from Germany. You know, everybody worked together and we're always promoting each other. And we're always lifting each other up. And, you know, that, that was kind of natural for me. So uh, what the biggest problem was, was the scaling of it. Uh, a lot of the DJs, or promoters that I worked with didn't really know how to promote. Uh, I'm not even saying that I knew how to promote. I was just trying to figure things out. And, uh, you know, I was getting these big uh, guest lists because of the way I was talking to people and the way that I was promoting it online. And, uh, you know, I really got lucky with Facebook. Uh, that, that promoter that gave me his company and stuff, he really brought me into Facebook and introduced me to his network. Uh, I tried to stay away from Facebook. I thought it was stupid. <laughs> I was like, it does. You, you can't have like, you can't design your page. You can't choose colors. Like, it's just the page. It's lame looking. So I never really wanted to go there. But you know, kind of like uh, the stuff that you hear today with like Instagram and TikTok. You know, it's <clears throat> that was the next big thing. So I, I had to go over there, and uh, MySpace eventually died out. But let me tell you what it actually takes to throw an event and this is what I was trying to teach people. Now I did find some people that were on somewhat on my level and stuff and they just played their role. But you know, if you're thinking about throwing parties, this is the format that I was using or that I discovered and put together and this worked very, very well for me. Okay, let me, t before I even get into the formula of it, let me tell you what most people are doing. Most people, or, or they're just waiting. They don't set the date. They got to get everything lined up first. They, they want their DJs lined up. They want their flyers made. Uh, they want all this stuff before they ever even book it. Uh, that's not how I did things. It was always on the fly, like on the wing. So uh, the hardest part when you're actually throwing an event is getting your headline DJ and your venue dates to match up. That was one of my biggest frustrations. Like I wanted to book this DJ and she was and he or she was available on this date. When I tried to go in and get the venue that I need, the that date wasn't available. Or vice versa. But once you can dig in and home in on that and you find the headliner in the venue that has the same date available, boom, you book it right away. Book that date because First of all, it puts something in your calendar and it puts pressure on you. So you have something to work towards. Like you have to put everything together and get everything working uh, so people will show up to that date. If you don't have that date booked, 
you're just going to kind of piddle around and, and get a little bit done here and there, and you're never going to throw that party. So that was my first thing is getting my headliner and my venue uh, dates to match up. And then I book my date, and then I immediately go out and start um, I, I did, uh, start looking for the roster. I, I, and at this time, it was pretty easy because I had a lot of DJs to choose from. But I was trying to pick the best ones. And it, you know, I wasn't trying to just throw DJs up. I was trying to create like a story throughout the entire night. Okay, I wanted wanted this DJ to play first because uh, he's more mellow and he's going to create the vibe. And that's one thing, guys, that opening DJ set, whether there's th anybody there or not, that literally sets the vibe for the entire night, in my opinion. But I would get my DJ roster together and uh, I, would, I would do the, the timeline. Like this DJ plays this time, this DJ plays that time. It was really based off of their style and their music. And, and the ones that I really wanted to play, but they, they played really like a hard style, I would even tell them, be like, hey, dude, we're always setting up for the next DJ and stuff. So figure out uh, who's going on after you. Uh, learn their style of music. That way, when you're done with your set, you can leave them with something that's going to ease right into their style. And it worked out great, man. We, we were doing uh, these events, and it would just kind of be a big, giant buildup to the peak of the night, which was awesome for me because I was headlining most of the time. <laughs> I loved headlining. But, you know, going through this and uh, trying to teach other people the process and uh, just working with, like, building this team. I had my, my guy to uh, design flyers. I had my my uh, my DJ roster. Like, my, I ended up building, a, like, a solid team. A couple teams, actually, that I would rotate throughout the nights. That way it wasn't the same lineup every time. But I had a handful of DJs that I built my DJ roster. I had my flyer guy. I had my – I was trying to build my promoting team. So what that entailed was – not just promoting digitally, like on Facebook and making posts, but it was actually like a street team. We'd be out there as clubs were closing, and we're just out there handing out flyers and just talking to people and hyping them up about our event uh, to try to get them to want to come. And through that, you know, uh, I got to meet a lot of people. Uh, I started talking to and booking DJs from Florida which, uh, man, I love all those guys. I love the DJs that I book, but I hated booking from Florida. That plane ticket was so expensive. Uh, around that time, you know, it was about 800, well, about six to $800 for the flight. Plus we had to play, pay for the hotel and all that stuff. But some big things came out of that, you know. Uh, I ended up playing festivals. Like I played at the, cast, the Caffeine Festival for the Triad Dragons. But now that was a very special event to me. I had been going to those festivals since I was a little kid. These big, massive raves. And, um, you know, that that's one of the festivals that <clears throat> actually kind of shaped and molded my life and got me out of all the, the stupid stuff I was in when I was much, much younger. So I uh, started headlining my own parties and, you know, booking other headline artists. And uh, I would always open for that big headliner and, Get to know them i was always picking their brains like hey dude what's it like to be on tour or, hey dude like how much money do you make you know how do you find time to do this touring and your djing and like a lot of them were producers and 
I'm going to mention this right now. One thing I did realize booking headliners and uh, DJing and stuff is most all the big, big name DJs. I wasn't booking like people like Dead Mouse and stuff, but I was, I was booking, I was booking like B class headliners like Jen Lasher and uh, Heavy Grinder and you know uh, Johnny Breaks and you know they they weren't like up there up there, but they were on the roster. They were touring around and doing great shows. But what I noticed, they were all producers. They weren't just DJs. And I found out the hard way when I actually had an opportunity to fly out to. Miami, Florida, to play for the Winter Music Conference. And that is where the Ultra Music Fest is actually held. So I was super excited to go out there and start DJing for a couple shows uh, as a thank you for uh, booking some headliners through another promoter a few times. And when I went out there, there was a, other promoters still booking DJs and trying to fill in more time slots for their like their pool parties and all this stuff. So I started talking to a lot of them. And I remember feeling so small at times because I'd be like, hey dude, like uh let's exchange numbers. I would love to like DJ with you and all that stuff. And they were like, uh where's your discography? I said, uh what do you mean a discography? Here's all my DJ sets. They're over here. He was like, no, your discography, those are your DJ sets. Like where's your music? And uh, pretty much kind of putting me down because I wasn't a producer. I was just DJing. And at that time, I didn't really care. It's like, look, I don't need to be a producer to be a great DJ. Okay. I just want to play. And, you know, on the outside, I was, I was kind of portraying myself like, hey, we're working on the next big thing. We're going to do this big show and, you know, bring in these DJs and all that. But literally on the inside, I was kind of suffocating. And the recession that we were going through uh, back in like 2010 was really taking a toll on me. I was just struggling to find work. Uh, you'll hear me talk a lot in my stories about how many times money was an issue. Especially, well, at least for me anyways, because I literally just wasn't making any money. Okay. The only money I was making was off of my, my events uh, that I was throwing. And the money I made off of the, the club events... I would dump that into like a personal show and some worked and some didn't. So when you're actually flat broke and you invest everything you got into a party and you lose money, you just kind of dig yourself a hole. And that's what I was going through. And my whole mindset behind it was like, it just takes one more show, like just one good show to hit. I get the turnout and I'll be right back on top. And at that time, I just, I didn't have anything else working for me. I was, I was pretty much fresh out of school. You know, I went from a, being a roofer in construction for the last 13 years to going to school and becoming a Microsoft certified systems engineer. But when the recession hit, there was just nothing for me. Like I had all this knowledge, but no experience. So I, I couldn't get hired in the IT field. And I went back, I tried to go back to roofing so I could just go make something and uh, that industry had changed too. Like all the guys were asking me if I spoke Spanish, because if I didn't speak Spanish, they weren't gonna, they couldn't use me. So it was very stressful times, and that was all I had was my events, and my music. I was like, if I could just throw another event and have it work, I'll be back on top, and I could pay off some debts. 
now here's the problem that I was running into while all that stuff was going on. Um, the Facebook platform changed. Our phones changed. I had this BlackBerry, and that was a big part of my numbers for my events because uh, you younger kids probably don't even remember what a BlackBerry was, but uh, people more my age remember that that was the greatest invention ever. I could shoot one text message out to a thousand plus people, and I had that list. As, over the years, I was I was gathering phone numbers and all that, and I would shoot one text message out like, "Hey guys." Uh, 2042 Productions is throwing this event on this night. These are your headliners. Be there. And out of that text message, I would literally have, on average, about 400 paying customers show up to my event. And when our phones changed and went over to smartphones, I lost that ability to send a text message out like that. You could only do 10 people at a time. So that really hurt my business. And I watched my numbers start dropping. And then I remember uh, this one event. This was the event. I called it DNA. It stood for Dance the Night Away, but it had a double meaning. I literally put my blood, sweat, and tears into this show. Every dollar that I had went into this. My roommate at the time, Eric, actually even helped me uh, a lot. Actually, everybody that I was involved with helped a lot. My girlfriend was building DNA strands. Um, my friend Eric was using his tools to help me build the stage. We didn't have money, but we had tools. So we were like, that was our, our ideas. Like, we'll just build our own stage. Let's build a DJ booth that's, that's just phenomenal. So we started building all this stuff. And uh, the venue, let me tell you guys about this venue. This place is out in Lodo, uh, downtown Colorado. And this place is amazing. When you walk in, it's this beautiful bar that's got lights all around um, the bottles of alcohol and stuff. And it's just this nice, chill place. But if you go in the back, there's a venue. And in my head, it looked like Noah's Ark. You literally walk in and you look up. There's this big dome ceiling made out of wood. It looks like the bottom of a boat. There's like stained wood. And then in the very back of it, there's this giant stage, like a real stage. And there's lights and, and all these things that you can control. I was like, this is awesome. So we built this DJ booth and built a ramp that came off of the stage into the DJ booth in the middle of the floor. And we were so excited. You know, me and my friends had all these ideas. We were going to try to make it snow in there. And, and do all these things. And uh, what ended up happening is I put all of this time and effort. I promoted it right. I followed my formula. Um, I did everything that I could to get people there. And instead of having a 1,000 people show up, I literally had about 480 people show up. Between the, the, the venue, myself and my friends, we lost about 10 grand on that show. And I was already in the hole. So that put like a damper on us. Like uh, it put a lot of pressure on us because I couldn't even pay my DJs. And people were asking for money. We just literally didn't have any money. The, the venue kept any money that came in to cover their losses. And even though I was bummed out, this was the, the weirdest thing. I, did, I didn't understand it at first. But uh, I went in to talk to the guys. I was like, hey, it's probably, probably not going to give me any money, right? 
And they said, no, uh, you didn't make any money. We, we lost a lot of money. And um, the owner looks at me. He was like, so when's the next one? They said, the next one? We just lost 10 grand. You want me to do another one? He was like, hey, man, stuff happens, but we saw what you did, how you worked it. We loved the setup, the people that came in. You got something going on good here. And I looked you up. I know who you are. And I know that you can't draw a crowd. And uh, that was just a, a weird, uncomfortable feeling. It's like, here it is. We lost all this money. You got, he wants me to throw another show. I said, why do you want me to throw another show? He's like, well, we got to make our money back. <laughs> so I ended up using that venue and stuff and throwing more more events. And, you know, that was the whole game with, with this promoting thing is like, Sometimes you make money, sometimes you don't. Sometimes people show up, sometimes they don't. And one of the biggest things I discovered uh, in this game is it's really about working together and creating teams of people, like even companies working with other companies. Um, it really was not like that where I was at. Uh, I remember trying to throw a show on New Year's. Everybody's throwing shows on, on New Year's Eve. Um I was looking at my competition and researching their, their events and stuff. Uh, almost all of them were shutting down at 2 a.m. And I remember these guys, uh, this one specific promoter, I'm not going to give names, but uh, they were throwing the, the event at the same uh, area as me. And uh, they were shutting down at 2 and I actually reached out to the promoter. I was like, hey, I noticed that you're doing an event too. Congratulations. It looks like you got a sweet lineup. You got to get thing going. I noticed that your show uh, closes at two, but ours goes until about seven a.m. And I wanted to offer you an opportunity to work with me. Um, go ahead and throw your show in at the end of the night if you could just announce that. Hey, we have after hours over here, and I give you these business cards. And anybody that walks through the door with one of these business cards, I'll pay you five dollars a head. And uh, I was like. I was, I was thinking this was like the greatest idea I've ever come up with. I was like, dude, I could have my, my crowd and then literally suck their crowd in. And then we all get exposed to their crowd and we can share it. And I was just so bummed that the guy was like, nope, we got it. That's how it was. It was like everybody was like, no, that's okay. We got it. No, we're just going to do our thing. And um, because of that, all of our parties kind of flopped. Like the crowd was divided. They had a, a few hundred. That person had a few hundred. We had a few hundred. Nobody worked together. So therefore, none of our events were successful in the way that we wanted it to be. And um, that's one of the biggest things I learned. And because of that experience and going through that over and over and over, I can tell you that that really started to shape and mold and change who I was. See, I come from the background, like out in Germany when I was getting started, everybody's working together and promoting each other. And out here, everybody seemed like they were out for themselves. And like I said, this is going on during the recession and all this. So money was tight for me too. And it got to a point to where, you know, I, I needed more money. And I, I just couldn't afford to keep paying everybody. You know, I was like... Nobody's really bringing in a guest list that's anything close to mine. And it, I just didn't feel like it helped that much. Like, um, you know, I fired people off the crew because they were trying to uh, collect, 
money off of our profits for that night, but the guest list was only like 10 to 25 people. You know, I was like, that's not really worth me even paying you for, you know, just to have a few people show up. And I really wish I, I wasn't like that, but I was trying to create a business out of this, you know. So I was really looking for those people that could, uh, you know, bring in the numbers. And through all this, you know, I, I ended up getting around the wrong people. And what I mean by the wrong people is like people that were doing drugs and just partying all the time. And they were cool as shit. I mean, they were like, I was just loving these guys. And I let them in a little bit closer. And some of them became my inner circle. And because of that, you know, you are what you eat. I started partying more. And uh, especially with everything was always free. Like I got a lot of respect as a promoter and a DJ. Um, and everything was free. I even told one guy, I was like, Hey man, can you please stop buying me stuff? I can't afford to pay it, pay you back or even come close to returning this kind of favor because you're, you're spending a lot of money. And the guy was like, Hey, don't worry about it. I'm not keeping track. Let's just have a good time. And you know, when you do this over and over and over for, for so long, like it does wear down on you. So we're getting around the wrong people. I'm you know, I'm starting to party a, a lot more, and I'm starting to pick up more DJ gigs because we're partying all the time. And inside, I was just becoming miserable. You know, everything was getting stressful. Still wasn't making the money that I needed to because of the recession and all that. And uh, I, I really wanted out. It got to a point where I, I didn't want to throw parties anymore. I couldn't do. I couldn't throw the events the way that I wanted to. Like bringing in stage or extra lighting or something to be different as a brand, uh, trying to get this stuff into the clubs and stuff. They just, they don't care about that stuff. They didn't want to work with me. They didn't want to open early so we could get set up. They just pretty much wanted us to come in and out so they can get their money and get the night over with. I did not understand that because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't DJing and throwing parties uh, just to make money. And, and just for the business side, it was more spiritual for me. Like there was nothing like being up there in front of a crowd and they're hanging on every mix. And there's like this, this connection, this, this energy bubble that you connect with. Um, I don't know how to explain it, but it was the most and best thing that I've ever experienced in my life as far as like going on like spiritual, like a spiritual journey or whatever, if you will. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about religion and God and stuff. This was my religion. That's how I, I talked to God is through music. I mean, I felt like that's how he talked to me, but we won't get into that. That's just like my little personal thing. But, you know, my, even though I wanted out of this, the, uh, the crowd, the, our fans, the people that would show up and support um, I cared so much about them. I just kept going. I was like, I just got to keep going. It, it, things can get better. I just don't like what I'm doing right now. But it didn't get better. You know, uh, because of the partying and the people that I was with, it, it seemed like I was just on the slope. Like I was just, I kept going down and down and down. And because I wasn't making money, I didn't have a day job. Um it just wasn't working out. And I will just point out too, it wasn't that I wasn't looking for work. It's just, I had never gone through a recession before. I put in hundreds of applications and get a handful of interviews. It would literally take me about four, well, probably about three to six months to find a contract. 
so I could work in the IT field. And because of the recession, things were shutting down and I was getting laid off. Sometimes I'd work a month and then get laid off. You know, I remember even getting laid off on Christmas Eve by a company. And I was like, thanks a lot, uh, assholes. I already spent my money on Christmas and now I'm broke. <laughs> but throughout all this process and throwing events and meeting people and DJing and, you know, living a rock star lifestyle for, for a few years now, I think I was a resident for about five years, resident DJ and promoter at these clubs. And um, something actually happened. I got a phone call um, from, a, from a, a cop saying I needed to come in and talk to him. And I said, for what? And they said, oh, there's a warrant out for you. I said, for what? They said, uh, possession of legal distribution of ecstasy. And I was very cocky about it. I was like, look, you guys definitely got the wrong guy. I don't sell that shit. Um, <laughs> you guys don't know what you're playing with. Well, they, they ended up threatening me and putting pressure on me, saying that they were going to arrest me on stage and announce my charges to the crowd and all this stuff. So, you know, me thinking I'm completely, like, you know, free and it's just a mistake. I go in to talk to them and they ended up throwing me in jail. With no charges pressed, by the way. And I was like, well, whatever. You guys can't keep me in here. I haven't done anything. And uh, there's no charges. So you can't keep me in here more than 24 hours. Then uh, a couple days go by. And I come up to the guards like, you guys have to let me the hell out of here. There's no charges pressed on me. They said, we can hold you uh without charges i said you guys definitely can't hold me for more than uh, 24 hours they said actually it's 72 hours but the weekends don't count so i was like damn so a couple more days go by come up and talk to him i was like you gotta let me out they said no uh they extended the investigation i said you guys can't do that they said we can actually do that up to three times so technically we can hold you in here with no charges for up to 30 days and that's when I got on the phone and just begged. I was like, you guys got to get me out of here. Um, we're going to lose everything. You know, just moved into a house with one of my best friends and my girlfriend and her kids. Like we were starting a new life and trying to scale. And this was going to ruin it all. So uh, luckily I had uh, some great people around me and, you know, they got me out. But that was probably one of the most stressful hardships in my life one of the lowest points because here I am I get I didn't have any charges pressed with me until the day of court then they hit me with this charge and I got a lawyer and everything and he didn't do nothing he said we have to take a deal so I actually had to make a decision if I'm going to keep throwing parties and risk like you know obviously you know people are watching me but I had to make a decision. Am I going to keep throwing parties and risk getting in trouble? Or should I just shut it down because that's what I really want to do? And I need to focus on my life to get this felony charge off of my record. See, this, this turned out to just be a shakedown. But it, it turned into where it, it was like a very serious thing. I was looking at a felony charge. And that's not even the worst of it. I think the worst of it is 
I just kind of closed up. I didn't know who to trust. I was like, what is going on? Because according to the cops, I was under investigation for months and months. And they were, they were hard on me. They were like, we hate you little motherfuckers. Uh, you and your little rave parties are destroying our youth. <laughs> and we argued about all that stuff. I was like, oh, my parties are 21 and up, douchebags. But anyways, <laughs> what had happened, the worst part of it was just watching all the gossip the gossip arise. Like, there wasn't very many people. And I thought I had a lot of friends, guys, like a lot of close friends. Nobody was really asking me, hey, dude, what's really going on? What happened? You know, but most people are just listening to gossip. Even, like, my closest friends. I'm getting phone calls from people be like, hey, dude, this guy was talking mad shit about you. And he was, like, in the middle of the circle. Everybody was listening and all this stuff. They're saying that you're a snitch. That's why you're not in jail. Just all this dramatic stuff. And my decision was, I'm, I'm letting go. Screw this. I'm out. I don't need this. And that's kind of like the beginning path of how I started to go towards being a producer. I really got clear on my life <clears throat> of what I really wanted. And I didn't have time to really do anything um, what turned out out of that court case is they put me in an experimental program called drug court. And, you know, if I made it through that program, they take the felony off of my record. Like there was no like dismissed or anything. It just, it's completely expunged. And I said, that's worth, that's worth it. Um, so I did this program and trust me guys, when I say it was the hardest thing I've ever done, I had my shit together. I wasn't a drug addict or any of that stuff. And, uh, I had a hard time getting through that. It took me two years to get out of that and get it off my record. And during that time, because I wasn't throwing parties and stuff, and I built up this, this thing where I didn't trust people anymore. I pretty much just shut everybody out. I went and got my own place. You know, and I set everybody out. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna go get some equipment. I'm gonna become a producer. I'm gonna write my own beats, and I'm gonna build up a performance that is so extraordinary. I'll show all those guys that turn their back on me that they're wrong. And that's what I did, guys. I literally put my head down. Um, I got a, I got a second job because you know I went through the numbers. I was like, damn, this is gonna cost like thirty grand. But then I go through the numbers and say, how long is it going to take me to save that up? It was like years. So I don't have that kind of time. So I got a second job, night job. And let me tell you the work that I put in, guys. I ended up putting in about, I was working 15 to 18 hour days for about six months straight before I dropped. And it was totally worth it. <laughs> it was, that, that was hard. Like limited sleep. I was getting about four hours of sleep a night. And uh, life was very different. Like I, I did not see things the same. I was just kind of like on this grind. I was in this rat race. Like it just never stopped. And I did that for about six months. My goal was three, but after about three months, I was used to it. I was like, let's see how far I can go. So six months, I saved up $20,000 and I dropped that on a new recording studio. I got, I got a MacBook. I got the speakers, I got the desk, I got, you know, DJ equipment, I got everything that I wanted. But I also didn't have anybody to share it with. 
I remember, I'll never forget, like I pieced it all together. I remember looking for the, the Technique M3D European turntables. You can't even buy those things brand new. Um, I found them, I found a set, a good working set. I, I bought one at a time. You know, turntable sitting on the on the table, no mixer, just kind of eating at me. I cannot DJ because I need the mixer. Well, it was just patience throughout the, this process. I pieced it all together. I built this studio up. And I was so excited when I got everything put together and I turned on the sound and it was all loud and bassy and clear sound. But I was so lonely. Like, there was nobody to share that with. So I ended up inviting some some uh, very, very close friends that I haven't seen in a long time, obviously. And I threw a little house party. <laughs> and that's what, just what I needed. That is just what I needed to, to get my vibe back and get excited again. I invited some friends over. We threw a party. I ended up getting the HOA uh, called on me. They almost kicked me out because we were too loud. It was just a, such a great night, and I got distracted. You know? I got distracted from learning how to produce. It, it was very frustrating. You know? Um, didn't I got all this equipment, but I didn't know how to use it. Um, the computer programs are very, very difficult to use, but I'll save that story for the for the next episode and stuff. I just wanted to let you guys know, you know, uh, how I transitioned from being a, just a DJ into promoting, and and started headlining my own shows and started working with other promoters and and artists and, and booking headliners and all that stuff. It, you know, I have no regrets. No regrets whatsoever. It was just a, it was a really great experience. It had a lot of ups and it had a lot of downs. And that's why I have no regrets because that those experiences kind of shaped and molded me and it got me really clear on what I want to do with my life and how and if it involves music and all this stuff. So um, just kind of recap, you know, uh, about this story is, some of the, the key points I wanted to make is like, even though I didn't know how to do any of this stuff, I didn't let that stop me. I just I dove in head first and I just figured it out all, along the way. So a lot of you guys are out there like not making moves because you don't know how to do everything in your ducks on in a row. I'm, I'm here to tell you like, you don't, you can't plan for everything. You know, there, there's, there's a saying, there's no perfect plan. There's only perfect intentions. There's literally things that are going to happen that you cannot plan for. So if, you, if you're excited about something and you want to go in that direction, just lean into it. And I promise you, you'll figure out the nuts and bolts along the way. You just have to take the action. And I will also point out too, is like the scheduling of things. Consistency, guys, is so important to be consistent in whatever it is you're doing. If you're a DJ, you need to be out there talking to people and getting gigs and performing. If you're a producer, you need to put your music out there and be talking to people always, always promoting. And you need to do this like I'm not talking about a few times a year or once a month. I'm talking about you need to be putting something out or at least have something ready once a week if you can. And you're going to have to build up to that, especially if you're just starting off, learning a new skill. No matter what it is, DJing, producing, rapping, it takes about 10,000 hours to master a new skill. And you just have to put that work in. 
and things start to come together. And, you know, it took me eight months to finish my very first track that I put out. Eight months, guys. But now I can literally write a track in about two days, and it takes me about two more days to mix it down and master it and, and get everything just loud and, and, and as perfect as I can get it. So I literally went from eight months to finish one track to producing a track in about uh, four days. So you too can do it. You just have to be consistent. And when you're being consistent, make sure it's workable. Create your goals to where you know that you can hit those goals and you're not going to get burned out. When I was a promoter and I started, I started uh, throwing those events, two to three shows a month. I was just working nonstop. It was stressful. I always had my fingers crossed, you know, hoping people show up, and sometimes they did. But that burned me out. I lost my vibe real quickly. And once I lost my vibe, I saw my numbers drop. Not so many people were showing up, and I could even hear it in my DJ sets too. Because the vibe wasn't there, my DJ sets weren't very great. It was kind of like what everybody else was doing, just mixing one track to the next. Because I wasn't enjoying it. I wasn't having as much fun as when I first got into it and I had that passion. So you can do whatever you want to do with your life. You just have to structure it and you have to go for it. You have to just lean into it. So anyways, guys, I hope that that uh, helps you out a little bit. I hope that you enjoyed the story. I do apologize if, uh, if it's a little monotone or it's a little boring or if it's just not working, uh, I've never done podcasts before. And it's a little bit harder than, you know, I thought it would be and stuff. There, there is some work to be done. And I'm not going to sit here and just read a script to you. I want it to be completely authentic and off of my head uh, and just kind of have a format I go down. So keep on listening. I promise I'll get better. And uh, we're going to be bringing in more artists to tell their stories, and it's going to be more of a radio show. But right now, just getting started out, I, I just wanted to be able to, to tell my story and, and see if it connects with any of you guys and if it will help you in any way. So that being said, have a great day. Happy producing. And remember, you too can do it.